coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Why did you agree, sir, to come on the show? The honest truth is that Bill has some pictures of me that I don't want. (laughs) I know, I have to get rid of those now. As an old white guy, you're going to have to help me dress. I need some of those alligator shoes you were talking about. You can take pictures of Odell and I as part of the beauty of North Carolina. That's what I thought you said. I did. I'm trying to block that out for the. <laughs> there are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black, and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we come to you just to say thank you for our health, our strength, and just our great country, God. God, I didn't say our perfect country, I said our great country. And on our currency, we say, in God, we trust. So God, thank you for blessing America. Thank you for covering us as individuals, as leaders, as families, God. God, we just thank you for my relationship with Bill and all the blessings that you've given us. God, please continue to help us and keep us as we continue to seek common ground. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up this time with Bernie Mann, uh, a great brother that we've met through our Rotary Club in various areas. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a foundation in a rocking town, and just thank you for bringing him on our show. We lift him up and his family. Lord, thank you for my brother Odell and, and uh, the friendship we've developed with our families. Lord, uh, bless our listeners. There's many things that our listeners go through every day, and hopefully this This podcast will lift them up so that they can find common ground wherever they're at. Amen. You know, Bill, uh, it was great this past weekend. We had a chance to come over to the house. You know, you and Dory invited me and Beverly over and had pizza. You know, it's interesting. We travel a lot. And after the pizza's over, the wives got together. You and I went outside on the deck in the fireplace. The next thing we know, we're going to Paris. Yeah, Paris and London. We're told we're going to go and have fun. So we're going to have fun. We better have fun. Yeah. And Dory's already looking at uh, Airbnbs. She's found a couple of them in each Paris and in London. 
Uh, so I'm excited about it. Well, you know, it's interesting. The last time we went, we went with Viking International. We traveled up and down the Rhine River and went to the castles and everything. And I think this time we're going to go and hang out at some of the jazz clubs, what I call the black part of Paris. And yeah. we're going to do that and hang out at some of them places where Langston Hughes hung out and Josephine Baker and Charlie Chapman. Uh, it's going to be interesting. That's well, you know, supposed to be you interesting. Know, as an old white guy, you're going to have to help me dress. I can need some of those alligator <laughs> shoes you were talking about and maybe an alligator briefcase or something. I got, I got to look right. I don't want to go in there like a sore thumb. Nah, you're going to be right. Cause the good thing about it, we all tourists, we're going to be tourists. So we're going to go down there and we're going to try to have a good time. But more, the most thing is that it's all about relationships. You know, I love traveling with you and Dory, Bev and myself and just going to London and going to Paris and all those, you know, all those things, because one thing, you know, you really find out about a person when you travel with them 10 or more days. Amen, brother. I found out a lot about you. You eat more than one piece of pizza. I know that. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, what's going to happen on this trip? God's going to bring some people into our life that we don't even know about yet. I think we had to do a podcast when we're over there and talk about the experience. You know, it's interesting. I love that idea. And the fact that we're going to, what's it called when you go in the tunnel from channel. The channel. channel. Okay. So we're going to channel. Yep. So, you know, we didn't have channel back in public housing where I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. So this is going to be a good experience. Well, for we us. are going to go under the English channel. And then when I do that, I get nervous because I figure how long can you tread water? Because <laughs> <laughs> if you got to get out of there, you're in trouble. Well, you know, the good thing about it is our special guest today is Bernie, man. Bernie has traveled all over the state and all over different parts of the world. So we're going to ask him just to kind of jump in. And he is the you know, I'll let him introduce himself because we, everyone knows he's the president and publishing of our state magazine, but more importantly, he's just a good guy. And everyone who I, you know, spoke with is just, Bernie's just a leader. He's a leader, he's an entrepreneur, but he loves the state of North Carolina and behind every story, they're people. And, you know, North Carolina go from the mountains to the coast and we have all kinds of people, urban, rural, a little bit of everything. So at this time, Bill, let's welcome our guest, Bernie. Bernie, welcome. Thank you very much. Let me give you guys a piece of advice about going to Europe. Yes, sir. Uh, not only bring clothes, but bring a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we found that out when we went to Paris shopping with the girls. Uh, we were the baggers. We were the mules. <laughs> we carried more bags. And, uh, and every time we went in a store, I'm thinking they can't buy something else. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> Yeah, we well, loved plenty to buy. Yeah, we loved it. So, Bertie, help us help our audience understand the beautifulness, if that's the right word, of the state of North Carolina. And why do you love North Carolina so much? And the people, you just do such a great job. Just the why behind who you are and why you do what you do, sir. Well, let me take a little step back and tell you that um, my career started as a broadcaster. I used to be in the radio business and I owned radio stations. And uh, I owned a radio station in Little Rock, Arkansas, that uh, was catered to the black community. And the black community couldn't afford to buy it. And the white community didn't want to buy it. So that left me the chance to do what I've done most of my life. And that is to buy things nobody else wanted. And I found quite frankly, that uh, there was a terrible chasm, 
a big opening in uh, Arkansas, because remember, that was where uh, the governor stood in the doorway and wouldn't let children go into school. Right. And that was Governor Faubus. So the, the interesting thing to me was that how can I take this radio station that was catering to the black community and make it a part of the total community? And the, they made it easy for me, quite frankly, because the popular radio stations were so bigoted, they wouldn't play any of the black artists. They wouldn't wow. play the Temptations or the Shirelles or the, any of these wonderful groups that were singing magnificent songs. They wouldn't play them. So that gave me an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to play them and we're going to get white audience to listen as well as the black audience. And it was a very uh, eye-opening eye experience for me. What year was that, Bernie? That was uh, 1975. Wow. 1975. Wow. Not that long ago. And it was, uh, was such an interesting group of people who had not had a chance to really express themselves. So we had an all uh, African-American staff and uh, I'm a New York liberal coming in trying to figure this stuff out and figured out, to, hey, why don't we make it a better place? Why don't we make it a place that all people can enjoy? And uh, it was interesting. We brought a Christmas parade and had uh, the uh, attorney general by the name of Dale, of Dale Bumpers and uh, Bill Clinton who came to, uh, to our event. So uh, it is interesting when you what you guys do as far as common ground it is amazing what you can do when people get to understand that we're all people. We bleed the same way. We mm -hmm. have the same needs. We have the same love of family. We have the same love of religion. And just take time to understand that. And it was uh, very eye-opening for me. Uh, anyway, then my career changed. I went ahead and bought radio stations back here in North Carolina because my wife and I, we had traveled around a lot and we said, well, where's the, what's the best place we've ever lived? And if you've traveled a bit, Odell, you know this, you've gone on more than one place and you know, no one place is, is the best. Right. But there's a variety of places that are really nice. And we thought of all the places we had ever lived, North Carolina was the very best. And uh, so we settled in Greensboro and bought some radio stations here and then we bought some radio stations in Raleigh. And, um, and then the radio business changed in the, in the early 90s. The radio business changed. It used to be a rule that you couldn't own more than seven AM and seven FM radio stations. And then the government changed that rule. And all of a sudden, big companies were buying radio stations. And um, instead of one owner in in this area, which is Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point, there are 21 radio stations and one owner, 21 owners. And all of a sudden, then there was five owners, and they were owning five and six radio stations at a time. And uh, so it was not a, an entrepreneurial business anymore, and I needed to find something else to do. You know, it's interesting, Bertie. You know, you, you said something, and it kind of caught my attention about the... Arkansas, because that was the that was just there. That was the hotbed of the whole integration. And someone like myself who went through it in South Carolina, and the fact that people didn't want to hear the music 
But let me ask you this, though. When Elvis came on the scene singing what I call black music, uh, how how did that whole work out? Because Elvis, well, your thoughts on Elvis, sir? Well, Elvis, of course, uh, was on all of the white stations. The black station played him occasionally, but you're right, he was playing, he was singing black music, essentially. Um, But the white stations were so uh, focused on who he was rather than what he was singing that they were pleased to play him. But they would not play any of the magnificent black artists that were available. So Little Richard, Little Richard, they wouldn't play Little Richard. Uh, how about the Beatles? The Beatles came in with a little little soul music in there too. Yeah, but the Beatles were were given the OK stamp. OK. They're uh, the right color. Who was the first black artist that Arkansas may have given the OK stamp to, or are we still waiting? <laughs> I don't know. They may still be waiting. I haven't been there <laughs> Okay. But it, um, it's a pretty state, uh, but, you know, the people who live there have some very old, uh, distorted ideas. Not everybody. You know, that's true. You don't want to generalize. You don't want to say but everybody is this or everybody is that. But uh, certainly the people who are controlling the media, the radio, television, newspapers, they had a very distorted view of what life is. That's uh, interesting. It's important because... In uh, 1968, 67, I was in high school and I went to an all boys Catholic high school in an all white town of about 120,000 people. And we would have these, we call them sock hops, but it was a double decker dance. We'd have a band up in the gym and a band down in the cafeteria. And we would bring in uh, at the time they weren't as famous, but the four tops, uh, a lot of the black bands into this white neighborhood. And, but I lived in the North, so it was more acceptable. Motown was big, hot item, and everybody wanted to do Motown. Well, it was interesting, too, that, uh, you know, so much of the music at that time people have grown up with, and um, that was their only experience uh, of one of the wonderful music from the 60s and 70s. Terrific. And uh, some of it was British Invasion, and some of it was the music... uh, that we heard on rock and roll radio stations. Hey, listen to four tops and, you know, rock 100 and all that kind of stuff, because it's according if you could, you know, in those days, it wasn't at least where I was from AM was the big thing versus FM. But at the same time, tell us a little bit about North Carolina. When you came to North Carolina, North Carolina has such a beautiful culture different people if you go to certain parts of north carolina it's more rural in some cases it's um mountain culture you go to other places it's more urban so how do you how do you navigate that with all the stories and all the beautiful stories in the magazine and tell us about that because you all made a, a choice to come to north carolina and make north carolina your home well, we did. And, and it was interesting, too, because uh, I was so used to uh, having a format in radio. You have a format you play a certain kind of music. And um, and then when I got out of radio and I was looking for something else to do and someone offered me this magazine and uh, it was black and white and it had virtually no advertising in it. And it was started in 1933. And it 
from 1933 to 1945, it had grown to 23,000 paid subscribers. And a magazine has virtually no assets, but the only asset you have is if, if you have some paid subscribers. So this had 23,000 paid subscribers. And then when it was offered to me in 1996, it still had 23,000 paid subscribers. Oh. I'm not sure it was the same ones from the 1930s, but it certainly hadn't grown. And as I did a little due diligence, I found that nobody ever heard of it. Here's this magazine around since 1933, and it's 1996, and nobody ever heard of it. Well, so, uh, you know, it seemed to me that there was an opportunity here. But the question then, and your question is such a good one, Odell, because the, the, there's so many magazines, there's 11,000 magazines in America. What can you do with a magazine that's different? And, and I always have heard that there's a phrase, you have to have a, a burr of singularity. A burr of singularity. What can you do that sets you apart? And um, in radio, we didn't have a hard time. They would send us free records all the time. We had a, a disc jockey who put them on. He'd set us, say a few silly things, and then he put on another record. The magazine business is much more intimidating because it's a blank piece of paper. And each month we start with empty paper. And the question then is, what do you put on this paper that can set it apart? And so we manufacture our own business, unlike my friend uh, Don Flo, who gets cars that come in to Flow Motors, he doesn't manufacture those cars. All he has to do is sell them. Correct. We have to manufacture our own product and we have to promote it and we have to sell it. But the advantage to me is I can do things with that product to make it what I think is much more appealing. Whereas Don Flo, if he gets a batch of Honda cars and they're not looking that good, he can't do much about it. <laughs> you know, Bernie, one of the things about it too is the fact that when you came from Arkansas, when you came from the experience in the black culture and you came to North Carolina, Maybe, just maybe, not all, but some of your readers may didn't want to hear some of your views. Because one of the things that Bill and myself work hard at is here is that I have different perspective on things. Bill have different perspectives. Everybody know you have a Democrat, you have a Republican, you have a good looking black guy and a good looking white guy. Everybody know all those things. But we talk about issues that's tough. In your magazine, you are entertaining, but you are educational also. So how do you meet that balance? Well, I think that it, what's terribly important is that you show a magazine that reflects the vision and the picture of North Carolina. And North Carolina has not 100% African-Americans, but it also doesn't have 2% African-Americans. It has about 23% African-Americans. And so we try to make sure that our magazine is relatively a picture of what you expect when you look at a, a map and you look at the population centers of North Carolina. So we don't ignore the black community or we don't ignore the white community either. And so we try to do things that are uh, significant 
to both. And for us, significant means telling stories about people. People are what makes the whole difference. Uh, Odell, you're touching on that. You know what I mean. You've oh. met so many wonderful people, black and white, and they do things that are so interesting. We had a story about a football player in the eastern part of the state. Black football player comes out of the NFL and decides he wants to do something good. So he decides to plant sweet potatoes. Now, sweet potatoes are very, very popular in North Carolina. That's a big crop. But what he does is he takes all of the sweet potatoes that he farms and he gives it to poor people. Wow. Terrific story. It could be a story about a white man. It could be a story about a black man. Nothing to do with skin color. Wow. It had to do with his own attitude about life. His own heart. His own heart, exactly. And that's what we try to do. We try to show so many of the stories that make North Carolina special. You know, you ask anybody, you say, uh, do you like to live in North Carolina? Yeah, I really do. I'm very proud of this state. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because to as you continue to work hard to knit it together, as North Carolina become a purple state, you know, yeah. then it kind of throws that in there. But not just that, our culture with tobacco now we're looking at legalized marijuana or hemp. So it's a lot of changes. How do you yeah. handle those changes? How do people handle those changes? Because tobacco is one thing and people have their different opinions on that. But hemp is a whole nother ball game, my friend. And purple, a purple state is still purple. Well, we used to have, a, uh, we used to say there's three things we will not do. We will not run advertising about the, the lottery because we think that there's controversy there and we think there's some people who are uh, unhappy with it. We will not run advertising about hard liquor and we will not run political advertising because unfortunately you guys are involved in some of that. But meanwhile, a lot of the people who write political advertising, it's pretty mean spirited. Yes. And so I don't want to have anything mean spirited in my magazine. And this is a very painful thing because as you know, political advertising is paid in cash and they come in with not, not checkbooks, but shopping bags full of money. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that I don't need the money, but I do think that you have to have standards and you have to say, this is what you're about. Now, your question about how things change in North Carolina, we, we now have several places that are distilleries and they're making wonderful gin and they're making wonderful vodka and they're making wonderful bourbon. And then, of course, there's 150 places where they're brewing beer. So we say, okay, those standards that we said we will not take any of that advertising, we, we don't do that anymore. We do take that because we feel it's a part of the culture. It's a part of the life of North Carolina. And since we're not a dry state, and because the liquor is sold everywhere, and it's legal, we're very comfortable in taking that. And we have had not one single person complain. Oh, so interesting, because we expect that there'd be some church going people. <laughs> then we had an interesting uh, situation with the state fair. The state fair, as, as you probably may know, we're the largest state in, in America 
the only state in America that didn't serve beer at the state fair. And so the commissioner of agriculture, uh, he called me one day and he said, hey, I got an idea and I need your help. I want to find a way of serving beer, but I want to do it in a way that people will expect and, and, and respect. He says, and I need you to, to join me in doing this. So he took his tobacco barn that he had on his property, took it apart piece by piece, built it at the state fairgrounds, and he has a state fair uh, a, a beer house. Mm. And we co-sponsor that with them. Uh, he, sa- he says, don't even tell me. He says, I know what you're concerned about. He says, we will have plenty of state police, but they won't be wearing uniforms. They'll be wearing blue blazers. And we will police that and make sure it runs well. So that's fine. And that's what's happened of how we've been able to get beer onto the state fair. Things change all the time, you know? That's for sure. Bernie, who's, who's your target audience for your magazine? Well, I would like to say everybody who can read. <laughs> we have a lot of pretty pictures. So maybe just looking pictures. at pictures. <laughs> and, and that's been very important to me because we're such a beautiful state. So one of the things we decided to do with, with these empty pages is that every month we run a minimum of 22 pages of nothing but what we call a photo essay showing the beauty of North Carolina. It could be the mountains. It could be the seashore. It could be like in our Christmas issue, just ornaments, you know, beautiful you do, ornaments. You could do for pictures of Odell and I in that as be- part of the beauty of North Carolina. Wait a minute. I don't think you heard that, Bill. I don't, <laughs> Bernie, I don't think you heard what Bill. Bill, say that again. You can you can take pictures of Odell and I as part of the beauty of North Carolina <laughs> and put in that section. That's what I thought you said. I did. I'm trying to block that out for that. <laughs> the, uh, but if you think that that adds to the culture and the quality of life, that's fine. You have that right. To, in our mind, it does. Oh. <laughs> Maybe nobody else is. <laughs> exactly. You know, Bernie, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, someone who I admire a lot, the commissioner of agriculture for this state. I, yes. you know, he is a true leader. I, people don't know he is a true leader and is uh, not relating to him, but when you talked about distilleries, Bill, all the idea that, you know, we got NASCAR from moonshine and everything else. So we have a culture of moonshine and NASCAR and everything else. And Bernie, I remember going to a NASCAR race years ago when I was in corporate sales and I went down to Charlotte. I forgot the race it was, but I looked around and it was like a hundred thousand people in there. And I think it might have been maybe three or four black folks in there. And you know what? I'm sitting there. They told me the story that, hey, Odell, people going to throw chicken bones on your head and doing all this. And you know what? Everybody was so nice. Everybody was just so nice. So a lot of times we have biases, prejudices, stereotypes on what we think people are, but it's not true. It's not true. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned Steve Proxler, who is our uh, agricultural commissioner, and he's a, a wonderful man, and he has truly been uh, a guy who doesn't see color, and he knows what uh, what matters to North Carolina is agriculture. It's all money. Yeah. How can we make it better? And look, all the farms are not o- owned by black people or yeah. white people. There's a wide variety of folks who are involved in agriculture. You know, let me tell you my impression of your magazine, because um, I've been 
reading it. And uh, by the way, folks, if you want to get a copy of his magazine, you can go to the website. And do you know that off the top of your head, Bernie? Just off the top of my head, it's <laughs> our state. <laughs> it's called rstate.com. State.com. Okay, good. And uh, but you definitely look into it. It's a, it's a fabulous magazine. But let me tell you, my impression is, it it is North Carolina pride. When I see that magazine in the cover and the articles in it, it's it's making us proud of our state. And you reach down into all the fibers that in different levels, all these different levels of fibers. And you put places in there that my wife and I go, hey, let's cut that article out. Let's go visit that place. Let's go check that out. Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, at first I thought, man, how, how he's going to run out of material for this state. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. We've got such a diverse group, you know, from the ocean to the mountains and in between. And uh, I keep telling my friends in Ohio, I said, you know, you're welcome to come down here and spend your money at the Outer Banks, but please go home when you're done. <laughs> That's what they say about Portland, May, uh, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> come and visit, but don't stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, we're getting toward the end here. And uh, Bernie, we always ask our guest, where's your common ground? And, and it could be in any, any way. It could be family. It could be work. It could be friendships. Uh, where do you find common ground? Well, I find common ground in why I keep working, uh, quite frankly, is because I love the people I work with. And I love the nature of our magazine. Now, I don't know if you know this, but three years ago, I sold the magazine and I sold it to the employees. And we now have what's called an ESOP, an employee stock ownership program. And it's been the most gratifying thing that I have ever done to know that the employees of this company, that when they get ready to retire, there will be an enormous amount of uh, financial reward for them. And it just it bothered me when I thought of selling the magazine. Some point, you know, you have to say, well, what's the future and what's the secession plan? And I didn't have, my kids were not interested. They live in Boston and Chicago and they're too stupid to move back here. So, <laughs> so the, 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 the next question is, well, how, what, what do I do with it? And, and I've had several people who wanted to buy it, but um, I didn't like them. And so I didn't think it's fair to just take somebody's money and then have my wonderful staff have to deal with these, these people. So um, I thought by selling it to the employees, it would be wonderful. And, and it has been. It's been a thrilling thing. And so you talk about common ground. I, I have 47 employees who I know that the future is guaranteed for them, that someone isn't going to come in and redo this magazine and take their jobs away or because they, they own it. It's their business. Wow. And they've been with me now. Many of them have been with me 15, 20 years since I almost since I bought it. And, and how, do you re, how do you reward somebody like that? How do you thank them? You know, you sell it and you give them $250 in a handshake. No, that's not the right thing to do. The right thing is to say, you built this magazine. You made it possible for us to have 186,000 paid subscribers. That 23,000 that I told you about when I first bought it, we're now 186,000. It's the second largest state magazine in America. Wow. Next to Texas Monthly. Wow. 
You know, and and that all comes from the skill of the people. But more than that, more than that, it comes from the fact that North Carolinians love where they live. Amen. Amen. Hey, Bernie, another subject, uh, Tanger Center. You do the program for Tanger Center, I believe. We do, yes. And uh, Odell and I are going to be advertising in the next round in it. Oh, good. Yeah, we're excited about that. Uh, We feel- Want an ad in in a program? Yeah, we're going to do it in the program. Uh, we couldn't make the first round, so we're in the second. So we're Terrific. doing, yeah. So we're going to put our uh, QRL code in there, and people can just put their phone on it and pick up the uh, the show. That's wonderful. Good for you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was on the Community Foundation board when Kathy Manning was spearheading that, along with others. I am so proud of her, the work she's done, and so many others. And the Tanger Center is just a crown jewel for Greensboro, not the only one, however, is a crown jewel. And just the, the revenue and the, the dollars and the heads and hotels that that brings. And I think that's the economic development. And you've done a great job over the years on reporting and generating economic development. What do you think is the biggest impact that we're going to see from the Tango Center? No, sir? Before you go, before you okay. answer that, let's explain what the Tango Center is. Ah, good job. Okay. You know what? Good job. I pay good attention. Job. That's yes, the sir. first time today. So <laughs> well, you go ahead and explain it, please. <laughs> Don't get used to it. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Tango Center is a performing arts center in Greensboro. And Bernie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's got the largest seating of any performing arts center in the state. Oh, Uh, without a doubt. In fact, they were very specific. I mean, Matt Brown, who is the genius behind this building, uh, he knows every screw and every nut that's gone into that building. Uh, Matt has uh, specifically said, I'm going to make this the best, the biggest, and the most incredible building. Uh, So they looked at the DPAC, the building in Durham, that has done so well, and they modeled things and try to improve every single step. So DPAC is 2,700. The uh, Tanger Center is 3,023 seats. It's a big building, a lot of seats. And you know, they had wicked, filled it. 66,000 people came. Wow. And now this past week, they just had beautiful, the- uh, Carol King. uh, And uh, again, another sellout of all the performances. So it's proving to be something that most people didn't expect. Well, you know, Bernie, uh, I'm on the Greensboro Opera Board of Directors, and we'll be bringing Porgy and Bess in in early next year. And, you know, Porgy and Bess has somewhat mixed reviews, as you know. And what do you think about Porgy and Bess? Well, I think first that uh, that Riona Givens is going to be the star. And she is so magical and so magnificent that it's just fantastic that she has agreed to come here because she's all over the world. Yes. And she has been so successful. So with her as the star and the magnificent music of the Gershwins, you know that it's going to be a fantastic performance. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see that. Well, Bernie, as we wrap up, listen, thank you so much for agreeing. But the last question I would ask, why did you agree? to participate in something like Common Ground, Black, White, Democrat, Republican, good-looking guy, another good-looking guy. Why did you agree, sir, to come on the show? Well, the honest truth is that Bill has some pictures of me that I don't want him to 
I know I have to get rid of those now. <laughs> but I think the, the real answer is because of what you guys are doing. I think what you are doing is something so unique and you're doing it so well that I'm just flattered that you asked me to be here. Well, it's a great honor having you here. And uh, we, the, uh, you add a lot to our show. So thank you for being on. Thank you very much for letting me be here. New episodes are posted every Friday. Please like, follow, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, Bill and Odell are online at commonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved.